Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Hey, well, well, well. Hello and good to see you. It's great to be together again. Kiorofano and welcome to our Inac online service. I am here today for one purpose. I want you to get rich. And I don't mean just a little bit rich. I mean stinking, filthy, rich. I want you to be the greediest person you can be. The person with the most wealth. Well, I can hear some of you now saying, preach it, pastor, preach it. Now you preach it. That's right. Isn't that what we all want? Riches. Lots and lots of riches. Wow. Who wants to be rich? Come on now. Oh, do I put my hand up or, or should I not put my hand up? Does he really mean it as a trick question? Uh, who, who wants to be rich? Like, who wants to be rich? I want you to be rich. Do you want you to be rich? I have an investment opportunity today that offers a 100% Guaranteed return. That's right. It is more reliable than tomorrow. It is more trustworthy than even a government guaranteed investment. This is a great investment. And, and you and I can become wealthy. Wow. Today, it's part two of our series called Blueprint, and I want you to turn in your Bible over to Mark chapter 10. We're hanging out here in Mark chapter 10, and, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus with his 12 men, his lads, his, his guys, his 12 disciples, and they're walking on a dusty road towards Jerusalem, but it's kind of interesting they're not like a big mob just walking their way towards Jerusalem. You've got the, the 10 of them, to, I mean, the 12 of them together. But Jesus is walking ahead of them. Like if you can imagine like an arrow formation, Jesus is out front, not, not too far away because when he talks, they can hear him. But clearly they're hanging back there. They're kind of nervous. And, and you've got to find out why when we turn to Mark chapter 10, and what's really interesting is for the second time, they have a dispute. Just back there in Mark chapter 8, they have the same kind of argument. And here we go again. There's a dispute in church. Ever been to one of those? Oh, yes. Disputes everywhere. They're having a dispute in church. And I just love how the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. You, you see human failure. You see futility. You see lying. You see cheating. You see pride and arrogance and lust and envy. You, you see it all playing out, even amongst Christians in the Bible. I love the fact that the scriptures are not 
sanitize and only the good stuff are there. And it makes probably all of us feel a bit more human. Isn't that right? And so we're going to see a very human story right here in Mark chapter 10. Let's head on over to verse 32. And we've got a bit of scripture to read, and I hope you pick up the story together. Okay, are you there yet? Look at your neighbor. Swipe, 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 page, page, page. Verse 32. Now they, that's the 12 disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. Why were they amazed? You see, the disciples sensed danger. Jesus, at this point, Jesus was a wanted man. They had assassination teams going out looking for the man called Jesus. He was the number one on the hit list and they were going after him. And Jesus, he's walking straight towards the people who want to take him out. He's walking straight towards his fate of crucifixion. And the disciples, it says in the text, they were amazed at his courage. Now, I think this is just so cool. We love those movies with, you know, action movies and these, or even, even real life drama movies where someone has courage. They, they have no armory, but they run across a battlefield or I'm thinking of Braveheart right now. I mean, there's all kinds of movies and we love it, don't we? Do you think of Jesus as a man of incredible courage? It says in the text, let's keep reading, and as they followed, they were afraid. So there's Jesus out front. The disciples are following. They're, they're, they're afraid, but they're still following, and they're heading towards the people who's gonna, who are going to condemn and torture and crucify Jesus. Let's keep reading. And he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Verse 33, behold, if we're going, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him and the third day, on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples didn't get it the first time. They didn't get it the second time. This is no less than the third time that Jesus had told them he was going to suffer and die. Now, I've just got to get it out there for all the parents out there. Let's not be too harsh on our kids, right? When we expect them to hear the first time, like, I told you once already. I told you twice already. You know, here's some adult men and Jesus is telling these knuckleheads the third time, but they still didn't get it. And, and what comes next might be the most insensitive, self-absorbed words ever. Jesus has just gone through a, a horrific list of things that were going to happen. I'm just look at that. They're going to mock him, scourge him, spit him, kill him, condemn him. And what? Are the disciples concerned about? Look at verse 35. It's just stunning what James and John say. It's raw. It's raw humanity. He's just telling them he's going to die. And it says here in verse 35 that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
came up to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Clearly, they didn't understand what Jesus was really on about. It looks like, in fact, all the scholars say, it looks like James and John still thought that Jesus was going to stroll up to the government of the time and he was going to overthrow the rulers of the time like a, and establish his political kingdom like a coup in the physical. They didn't understand what Jesus was really meaning. But what I'm trying to draw to your attention here is when Jesus is saying these incredible things about what's going to happen to him and his eventual resurrection, all they can say is, what's in it for us? Man, some people treat God like that. Like, can you do for me what I want you to do? Like, can you please just be a big old Santa Claus? I'd ask you, you give me. Can you just be like a big supersonic vending machine? I just need a person in my life, cha-ching. I just need more money, push a button, like the dials, are like just a vending machine dropping there and pulling it out. I mean, do we treat God like that too? I think sometimes, if we're really honest, we think God is up there just to make us happy whatever happiness really is. That's what's coming out of these disciples. It's incredible. And Jesus doesn't even rebuke them. He's so gracious and so wise. He thinks, hold on here. Let me wait and see what they say because sometimes their own words incriminate us. And so verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Trick question. And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit on the right hand and on the left in your glory. This is evidence that they still thought Jesus was going to perform a political coup, take over the government, whip some people out of there, and get John and Jane sitting in their seats of power in government. And they wanted some of the glory. What's Jesus' response? Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Now he's about to talk about a suffering and he asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with you will be baptized Verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Now just pause. Please understand Jesus is fully God, but there are differences of authority in the Trinity. Okay, just got to establish that truth. But look, here we go. We're about to head up on verse 41. Here comes the fight between the disciples again. Verse 30, uh, 41, and when the 10 heard it, so you got two of them, Joms and Jane, they jump ahead, they grab Jesus. Hey, hey, Jesus, when this all happens, can we get some privileges? Can we have some power? Can you give us a, a, a title? And can you give us a position? When the 10 heard this, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. That's a nice Bible way of saying they were brassed off, annoyed angry, 
frustrated, which is kind of understandable when two of the 12 jump in there trying to kind of, you know, pad their own uh, uh, seat, as it were. What this also shows is that even the 10 also had some jealousy. And the 10 also, the remaining 10 also wanted some glory and some greatness. Verse 42, and Jesus called them and said, okay, come on, boys, come on, forget the fight, come on. And he says, but Jesus called to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great, one, great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, take this message and may it bring incredible honor to you and make disciples that make disciples. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to call this talk, We're Back and Better. We're coming back. We as a church are coming back. I'm about to make some announcements, but we better get something right. You see, Jesus, the values that he has seem different to ours. Some people describe him as having an upside-down way of thinking, an upside-down value system like love your enemies, like lay up your treasures in heaven. Don't worry so much about your treasures on earth. Or what about this biggie? Put God first. I mean, they're just a few of many opposite values to human, humankind. You see, Jesus' values that he taught on the Beatitudes and, and right throughout his time upon the earth when he taught, they, they weren't really upside down. They were the right way up. And right here in our text, Jesus tells us another way of thinking. Jesus tells us a, a, another value that God prioritizes. You see, God thinks differently. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And right here in our text, he says, servanthood is the path to greatness. Let me repeat that. Listen to me. Don't get distracted. Get off your phones. Servanthood is the path of greatness. Servanthood is the path of Jesus. And last time I looked, we are Jesus followers. And so what he thinks matters and what he says matters. In fact, it should indeed profoundly shape our way of thinking, our choices in life and how we live our lives. So God calls us to serve. Why does God call us to serve? Well, it's not because God needs help, right? Surely not because God needs nothing. In fact, if you hear anybody say, God needs 
as soon as you hear those two words, you know it's off. You know it's wrong because God is self-sufficient. He's all-sufficient. God spoke this universe into being with just a few words, without even one man being on the planet, without one so-called bright spark, some crazy inventor, some developer, innovator. No, 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 no. There's not one human, and God Almighty made everything. God needs nothing, friend. God's not sitting on his throne anxiously wondering who's going to help him in the church, who's going to help him with missions, who's going to help him change the planet. God's not anxious. God doesn't need our help. Why does he say serve? We know it's not because God needs help. And we know it's not because God wants payback, right? Like, you know, I saved you, so you better do stuff for me. It's kind of like when we get those invitations to a party, right? And then we think, ah, make a note. When I do my party, I better invite them as payback. Do you really think God's looking for payback? Do you think we could do anything that even remotely compares to the magnitude of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Of course not. In fact, it's incredibly offensive to God to think that we serve to pay him back because it effectively says your grace is not enough for me. That's offensive. So if God doesn't need help, like God calls us to serve, he doesn't need help, and he doesn't want payback, why, oh Lord, why does he call us challenge us to serve. Well, I believe it's for this reason, that God wants to bless your life richly. Uh Aha. God wants to get riches into your soul. God wants to get riches into your existence and your purpose and your relationships. And God wants to bless you, friend. He doesn't want to bless you with just mere silver and gold. (laughs) He makes roads out of that stuff. God wants to bless your life with amazing riches. He wants to put riches in you. He wants to make you wealthy. You see, it's wealth when you see God moving through you to impact other lives. God's trying to give you a sense of purpose and belonging through serving. Through serving, you build connection with others. Through serving, you please and bring pleasure to God. It's through serving that you utilize the gifts that he's given you for something greater and beyond yourself. You see, serving gets our focus off ourselves. God is trying to get the blessed life into you and I, friend, through serving. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want payback. He simply wants to bless you. Whenever God, look, listen to me now. Whenever God asks you to give him something and we fret and we worry whether it's our tithe or whether it's handing over a a, a dream or our relationship, whenever God asks you for something, just know this. He's got behind his back something far bigger and something far better to give you, but he's hiding it because he wants to see if you'll trust him. 
God is a blessing God. He wants to bless you. The blessings of God make you rich, friend. Not mere silver and gold and a bunch of cash in the bank account. There's so much more in relationships and purpose and belonging and riches of the soul that God is wanting to bless you. If you invest your time and your talent into the church of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you a 100% return on your investment. So what does this look like, Pastor Richard? Here it is. We serve God by serving others. Let me repeat it. We serve God by serving others. So that's the focus, others. But how do we do it? Come on, Pastor Richard. Let's get practical. Give me some handles. Here we go. Are you listening? Every person, I'm asking every person in our church to serve in a Sunday dream team, to voluntarily, to voluntarily sign up to serve in a team on Sundays. And I'll tell you why we want to do this. Here we go. Are you ready for it? You see the vision, the vision of our services is to create atmospheres and opportunities for every person to be transformed by the love of Jesus through meaningful fellowship, through authentic worship and relevant messages and sermons. And to take that and become transformed and then exit and leave and live differently. Praise God, but I need your help to create those environments, those atmospheres, and those opportunities so when people walk in the door and they encounter the presence of God through you and I, when they encounter the Spirit of God in our ministries within the Karaka tree, when they encounter the living God moving through the aisles and through worship and through the Word and through fellowship. Friend, I want to tell you, it's a beautiful thing when the body of Christ work together and bring their gifts together and see God honored. Everybody takes a fair share and nobody burns out. It's an exciting, exciting announcement that I'm going to make today. Starting on the 26th of June, we are going to begin alternating a two-weekly cycle on the 26th of June. We're back here for a corporate service at Caracas Street, and then the following week, it's connect groups. And then we go services, connect groups, services, connect groups, services, and connect group. It's going to be off the hook. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to gather here at Caracas Street for corporate worship and connection and togetherness, and then we're going to scatter across the city into life-giving small groups that reach out to the world and the community around us and make disciples. And there are four reasons why we as a leadership have made this decision as the next good, productive, fruitful, wise, next season for the life of our church. Number one, souls a craving connection and, and being together again as a ch wider, bigger church community, to be immersed in a worship experience for our children to begin to encounter uh, the power of God through ENK. It's going to be great. The second reason is we want to minimize the yo-yo effect of future government restrictions. It's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons we're not aiming to come back right now for our weekly services. We're going to go alternating for four months, starting in the 26th of June. Then we've got July, August, September, and October, four-month season of alternating one after the other, week 
after week. And the third reason we're going to do this and we're choosing this path is to increase our focus on outreach to our communities. And that's through small groups. And number four is we're not hammering to come back to weekly services because we want to reduce busyness and pressure on a whole lot of people. So this is a wise and balanced next step for us as a church for the next four monthly cycle. Isn't that great? We're going to create some beautiful atmospheres right here in Caracas Street every second week. We're going to create opportunities for these people, visitors and church family alike to be impacted and transformed by the love of Jesus. But to help us create that atmosphere and opportunity in this place, we want to give you a chance to serve. I want to give you a chance to invest your time and your talent as we began to ramp up to those fortnightly in-person services, I want to ask you, my friend, I want to ask everyone to serve in one ministry. I want to challenge you, everyone in our church family, to serve in one ministry. I know there may be some extreme circumstances. I know of someone who is looking after their dying parent. I know someone who has got genuine health issues. They're exceptions, but for everybody else, if you're not a connect group leader and you're not already serving, I'm talking to you today. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. I want to ask you to sign up and begin serving God by serving others through our Sunday services. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, as each one has received a gift, come on now, minister, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Here we go. If we all do a bit with a heart to serve God through serving others, if we all do our bit, nobody needs to be burnt out. And it's time now to prepare. It's time now to serve and begin to come back into an incredible season of just seeing God honored and disciples being made who make disciples who make disciples. Let's go back quickly to our text in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. My question to you today is, will you do the same? Will you do the same? Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.